Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well, so you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is your host, Ryan Pelton, the Prolific Writer Podcast. Really glad that you found us. However you found us, if you're in the car, on the train, in the bus, working out, whatever you're doing, really glad that you found us. And I have another great interview today with Armand Rosemilia. And as I was licking, did I say licking? Um, I wasn't licking um, anyone. Uh, we didn't lick each other, but uh, as I was looking back, looking over the interview, I uh, noticed that we went all over the place in this this interview, and 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 that's a good thing because we we learn a lot from Armand. Um, Armand is a New Jersey boy who now he lives in Florida, and uh, has written over 150 stories um, in a variety of genres: horror, zombie, contemporary fiction, thrillers. Uh, Dying Days is a zombie series that's very popular of his. Um, he's also written uh, a new series called Dirty Deeds, which is a, a crime thriller, and it's really they're really great books. And and Armand and I have been we we talked uh, just about a lot of different things, and it was a really great interview. And it's hard to nail down what a theme was, but there's a couple of things that really stuck out with me as we we listened to this interview, and as you listen to this interview, uh, one is a, that Armand talks a lot about just the struggle he had at the beginning of his writing career. And, and he's been writing full time for over six years and a very prolific writer, obviously uh, going through a tough divorce, um, trying to provide for his, his family and really just saying, I'm, I'm going to make a go at this. I'm going to do it. And, and, and just really grinding it out. And I, I still think he has that kind of mentality of what does it take to be a writer? And I, I think part of it is just grinding it out. 
Uh, it's, you know, he, he says he's a pulp writer and so he, he doesn't write flowery stories, but he, he just works like a, like any job. He sits down and does the work and, and does what you need to do to, to be a writer. And so, uh, really refreshing to hear that, but just the, the struggles of that, the ups and downs of that, it's not all glamorous. And then one other thing he, he talked about that I thought was really, really helpful is just the idea of kind of, he ca- called it the writer karma. And he really is committed to helping other writers too, aspiring writers, veteran writers. He has a bunch of podcasts as well. And, um, and, and just the idea that it's not just about yourself. It's not just about me and my little books and, and my ideas, but it's also about how can I help other people in, in their writing careers and, and trying to get their stories out into the world. And I think that really encouraged me to just to be, be mindful of that and to remind that, uh, of, uh, what we're doing, why we do it. It's, it's really why this podcast exists is to help other people. And so that's why I do it. I, I, I don't, there's a lot of other things I could be doing, but, but I, I hope this, the interviews and, and the content and the resources and the ideas are, are just helpful for you wherever you are in your creative life, your writing life. And, and so just being able to kind of pay it back um, because people have been very generous to me and, and helped me along and encouraged me as well. And so hopefully you can be encouraged too. Uh, a couple things before we jump into the interview. Um, if you haven't had a chance, go to iTunes, the Prolific Writer Podcast, leave a review. We'd love to have a review so that more people can find the show if you get a chance. Um, all the shows and all the, the content are hosted at rockhousepublishing.com slash podcast. And you can check that out. And we have a lot of other good content. Uh, a couple books that are in the works that we're excited about. Uh, one is a NaNoWriMo novel that was written in November, and it's uh, being edited right now called The Boardwalk, and I think you'll enjoy this story. It's kind of a mystery uh, coming-of-age story about a kid who's beginning college and working at a theme park and uh, going through some tough times trying to find love, and also there's some mystery and some maybe ghosts and other things that happen at this theme park. And so it's a, it's a fun story. It's being edited right now. That should be out. Hopefully if you're listening to this, I think it's January 11. Um, at least today is as I'm recording this, uh, probably out in the next couple of weeks. So keep your eyes for that. And that's called the boardwalk. Um, we're also in the process of finishing up an audiobook for a, uh, actually antique assassin, um, which is now just called, uh, return, uh, slash subtitle antique assassin. So that's book two of the antique assassin series. And that's the audio is coming out soon and it came out really well. And I think you guys will enjoy that story as well. So check out the antique assassin series. And for right now, that's all we got coming out. We got some other nonfiction titles coming out in the works. Uh, those are probably a few weeks, um, away and, uh, we'll keep you apprised on that, but go check out all those titles, rockhousepublishing.com. You can, can check that all out. Uh, there's also Facebook and Twitter and all that fun stuff. Check us out. Well, I will not waste any of your more, any more of your time. I'm having a hard time speaking today. Uh, and I'm going to jump right into the interview with Armand Rosemilia. just talking about, you know, to, to make it in this day and to be a writer, you know, you can't just write one book and hope that it you know, becomes a New York times bestseller, but to actually, 
write a lot and uh, do it frequently. But also I think the, the misnomer is that you can write a lot, but also write quality. So it's not like you're just yeah. putting turds on the wall either. Um, and so thanks for coming on Armand. This will be a, be a good time. And, uh, want to just, just kind of start off, uh, just kind of how you got started. I remember hearing something probably years ago that, uh, you were working a job you really didn't like very much and was writing and, Really wanted to see if you could make a go at it. So, yeah, I'd love to hear kind of your, your origin story. Well, I was a retail manager for 25 years. Hated every second of it. Um, <laughs> I've wanted to be a writer since I was like 12, you know, finding Dean Koontz paperbacks in my mother's collection. She still is a huge horror paperback reader, so I would read everything I could, and that's what I wanted to do, but... That was like, you know, the dream, and it took me till I was like 40 to actually get to the point where I could be a full-time author. But I had I had always written, um, you know, I had my first short story published at like 18, um, and on and off, you know, life got in the way, a couple of, couple of divorces and jobs and everything else got in the way, but I always wrote, and um, then I was working a retail job, and they... Basically, they laid me off, and I, I freaked out and panicked. And while I'm looking for another job, you know, and again, I'm like 40 years old, and I have all this retail experience but nothing else, and the job market is horrible. And I, um, instead of going, I was in a really bad relationship at that point. So instead of going crazy or maybe, you know, I don't know choking her to death or whatever, I decided, let me write, you know, let me pull some of this stuff out and uh, I had always read and read and read I, that had never stopped. So I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to give myself like six months on this and see what happens. And, um, thank God I, I caught a couple of really nice breaks in the very beginning around 2009 and, uh, I never looked back. Yeah, that's great. I, it's interesting when you, you talk about your story, how, you know, you talk about people being prolific or you talk about people writing a lot, but it seems like most people have written constantly since they were a little kid. Um, and then I also heard you say, you know, they read constantly. And it seems like those are kind of two big factors in, in how prolific people are is that they just devour books and kind of get a feel for writing. And then, but also they've always kind of just, you know, putzed around, even if they weren't that serious about it. Um, so it's not like you're, you know, you're just coming to the, the, the computer or the paper, you know, totally cold, but you've actually, you know, scribbled some things down and, and tried to try to give it a go. Um, when, when was like that moment where you, you kind of told yourself, um, not just sales or, or, you know, maybe some money was coming in, but, but just, you know, this moment of, Hey, I think I can do this and I could, I, I enjoy this and I want to make a living at this. Was there kind of a moment or a time when you, you kind of had that, that epiphany? Uh, yeah, definitely. There was a, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've told this story to, uh, you know, a lot of people who know me personally know this story. Um, I was with that woman and she was basically, she was leaving. She, we, we were, we were done. We were fighting all the time. She wanted me to go get a real job and she wanted to be married in a white picket fence and the whole nine. And I wanted to chase, you know, this dream I've always had of being a writer and we were living in a, and we were renting a house and basically the landlord was trying to kick us out to take his house back. So he had shut the water off. So it was me and my son living there with no running water. Hmm. We were scooping up buckets of water from the pool 
to fill the toilet bowl. And instead of her helping, she basically, she took off. She left with her son and, and eventually moved in. I found out she had a boyfriend at the time. <laughs> um, and it was one of those movie, cheesy movie moments where I was literally standing in the kitchen and my son is walking buckets of water back and forth and my phone rang and it was a publisher who um, basically said, hey, I just started working with this Hollywood company to write these like cheesy B movie book versions of their movies coming out. And you are po- prolific. You, you've written a ton of stuff and we really like everything you've put out and we'd like to sign you to this big deal. You know, I mean, like, you know, thousands of dollars, this contract. And it was literally, you know, and I'm, I'm talking and I'm saying, Oh, you know, I do this for a living and I'm, I'm BSing all the way through it. And as I'm doing this, my son, who is about 15 or 16 at the time is walking past me with a bucket of water. And he goes, Oh yeah, you're doing a great job at this, you know, busting my balls. And, um, so it was literally like she walked out the door and that call came in like seconds later. And that was really, that became, um, Miami spy games. Um, that series, uh, and it was basically, it was like a 12 part serialized thriller with zombies in it. And, um, it did really, really well sales wise, but more importantly, the money really, I mean, I paid my bills for about nine months just off of, of that contract. So that was pretty good. That was kind of my, Hey, I think I can do this Mm -hmm. moment. And it gave me a lot of confidence and it gave me the time to just sit down and just really come up with, uh, with my writing and my schedule. Mm-hmm. Now, was that, what year was that? Was that kind of when eBooks and things were kind of starting to take off or what was, what was kind of the timeline? On yeah, that? that was the good, that was the, it was, it was every, every planet aligned perfectly. It was like 2009. Mm-hmm. So eBooks were just starting to be big and, um, pretty much it was the wild west. So you, you'd throw something out there and it would sell, you know, hundreds of copies uh-huh. because there wasn't a ton out there. Um, I remember Jay Conrath, who was a big influence on me in the beginning. I read a lot of his stuff. He answered a lot of my questions and everything. I remember the three weeks, the first three weeks in December, I think he made a hundred thousand uh-huh. dollars in sales. So we were all like, okay, we can all, we can do this. And it really was that nice kick to um to basically to be able to jump in there and learn and and like I always say I've made a ton of mistakes in the beginning but I learned from those and that's kind of how I I've built my career over the last you know 6 years now going on 7 years of full-time writing. So one of the things I I've noticed I think I even you even said on your author page is that um you know you don't worry so much about uh genre um even though you write different you know a lot of horror genre and other things but you don't worry so much about that, but you, you talk a lot about just writing good stories. And so as you're, you're kind of going through divorce and how am I going to make a living and all of this, um, when did you kind of decide, you know, I could write in this genre, I can write in this genre or that genre. I mean, I mean was there any, any thought of that? I mean, obviously they, they <laughs> said, Hey, here's a contract. You know, you probably write, you know, anything at that point. Um, but, but was there a certain kind of, um, thought process in that of, of, I don't know if I can do this. I've never read anything like this. Or is there certain genres that you enjoyed as a kid or, or how did, how did that kind of work itself out? I think the good part is that I, I was a big Dean Koontz fan growing up mm. and 
he 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 wrote a lot of stuff like Lay Nichols. He wrote other, you know, he used a ton of pen names back in the day because it was frowned upon to write anything other than your genre. But he wrote tons of action thrillers and crime throws and, you know, not just the horror stuff and all that. And I, I figured out which books were really him before you knew. And then in the 80s, when basically it came out with the list because he republished everything under his name, and these were all just great action stories and everything. And I was a huge fan of Robert E. Howard's Conan the Barbarian, and I read a ton of sci-fi and fantasy and and all that. So um, I remember reading somewhere, like uh, one of those early writing books from the 80s type of thing, that basically just write a good story, find your voice was a big thing, find your voice and write a good story, and then worry about the genre you know, that's going to come anyway. If you write dark stuff, most of your stuff might predominantly be considered horror books. But don't sit down and go, you know, I've never sat down with an idea and said, okay, I'm going to write a horror book now. I've just sat down and said, let me write let me write a story. And a lot of them are horror, but I've written a ton of every, other things. And then writing a lot with the with the Hollywood guys has helped because I've, writ, I've read, uh, written a, a lot of zombie you know, zombie movie stuff, but I've also written, um, crime thrillers with them. You know, um, Miami spy games was like, was like a spy thriller with zombies, but it really was not a, about the zombies. I've written, uh, ghost written military romances. And I mean, you name it, I've, I've probably written something in that genre at one point or another for them and, um, and made really good money doing it. Yeah. I think that's an interesting, um, thought because you know you read like Stephen King and even though he's you know pegged as the horror writer I mean he's obviously written a lot of things I mean some of my favorite books aren't any of his horror stuff like Green Mile and some of his short stories that you know became Shawshank Redemption and some of those other ones um, but you know when you read his stuff though it's it, you know people think I think every page is you know somebody getting stabbed or eaten or a ghost coming out of the you know wall or whatever but mm-hmm. but the reality is when you read it you you know he talks about families and he talks about you know everyday life and and yet that's what I think is horrifying is because you take this average family and you put them in a you know in a house and you put a pet cemetery out you know out in their backyard and then all of a sudden you have this kind of crazy story but but it's not just about the you know the the dead animals in the pet cemetery. Um, th- there's so much more to it. And I think. Do you think that's that's a fair assessment of just kind of even when when we we kind of pigeonhole you know genres you know because we need somewhere to put it on the shelf or we need somewhere to put it on Amazon so we got to give it a label. Um, but but like you said, they're not always about the zombies. They're about other things. Oh yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, for me a, 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 the books that I read are character driven books and it doesn't necessarily um, mean that you're going to, you know, I mean, I I, I like zombie books, but I don't only just read zombie books. In fact, I I read mostly nonfiction now, but the fiction I read, it's just the character has to, has to catch me. It doesn't matter. It could be a crime thriller. It could be anything. The character has to have something that, you know, and a lot of times uh, something that I can relate to, you know, I'm really not a big fan of like, in zombie fiction, and now this is me personally, I'm not a big fan of the military zombie fiction. I'm not a big fan of the superhero, um, you know, Resident Evil or um, Underworld, th- those kinds of characters that, you know, uh, kick everybody's ass. I-, I want that normal person, and that's that's kind of why I wrote Dying Days, because I wanted 
a female lead character that was normal, that was average looking, that cried, that had panic attacks, that wasn't this military based character and, and, you know, great under pressure and all that. I didn't, I didn't want any of that. I wanted people to be able to relate to the character. And those are kind of the characters that I write, those flawed, normal characters. And I think for me as a reader and as a writer, those are the scariest things. I mean, you can write books about space aliens coming down and killing people, but the coolest parts of those books are always going to be how do people react to that? How do normal people, the, the bring out the, the best and the absolute worst in people? And I think that's what people can relate uh, about more. No, I think that's really good. I mean, I, you know, you, you can only, you know, kill so many zombies and <laughs> blow so many things up. I mean, there has to be some, some depth, uh, you know, to, to what's going on. So, so as you're, as you're writing though, let me, let me ask you this. So you obviously have written, um, I was just, I remember you, you wrote like a, is it Flagger Beach or how do you say that? Fla- uh, yeah. Flagger Beach yeah. fiction series. And yeah. that's, that's an actual place, correct? Yeah. It's a seven book series and all seven places are, are actual places down in Flagger Beach, which is where I used to, um, about two years I spent uh, writing down there every Monday through Friday at a place called Kokomo's Cafe. Right. And so you, you wrote, you know, it's very, what would you call it? Contemporary kind of fiction. Yeah. Contemporary fiction more, uh, you know, uh, people have said more, it's like a, more like beach reads, Mm -hmm. you know? So when you when you decide to write a book like that, and then let's say you're writing Dying Days, which is very popular, um, you know, very obviously very divergent stories. Are you thinking about uh, certain kind of tropes in the story? Are you thinking about certain kind of beats? Um, in, the, in, in other words, you know, like you said, I mean, are you just writing a story saying, okay, this is what I want to do? But are, are you saying, you know, I need to have at least a, a fight scene. I need to at least have this or that. I mean, is a reader expectation when you're writing um, different genres and different stories? Yeah, I think at this point, uh, you know, in the beginning it was great because I just wrote whatever I wanted and I just threw it up at the wall, up at the wall and let's see what stuck. And you, as a writer now, and especially, I mean, I'm paying my bills with this. So it's, it's one thing to be able to go, Hey, I'm just going to write 500 zombie stories because that's what I want to write and not worry about anything, but it's a business. So, some stuff I look at, like um, Flagger Beach is a perfect example. I was writing, I think I was writing one of my Dying Days books. So I was sitting there in the cafe in the corner, and I overheard this older couple basically breaking up, and these 60-year-old people. And the lady was like such a jerk to him, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to kill her in one of my stories, you know. <laughs> and then the story itself, I said, you know what, this would make a good story. And I just kind of wrote, uh, just as... She was still there, and and I just wrote this part to this story, and I thought, you know what? There's so many stories coming in and out of this place every day, and I'm here every day, and maybe I write this. So it it evolved immediately into, okay, I'm not going to just put her in a zombie book and kill her somewhere. I want to explore her as a character and her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend as a character, and that's what really drove that. Um, for me now, a great example for me is I was writing Dirty Deeds, which is a crime thriller, which the original idea was so so much darker. But the the main premise is it's a guy who basically kidnaps children for hire and kills them, but he doesn't actually kill the, the children. He basically uh, moves them into better situations. He saves the children, mm-hmm. but in the meantime, senators, rock stars you know, uh, whoever who have paid them him millions of dollars to basically eliminate 
like say a girlfriend gets pregnant and he doesn't want that kid around or it's an ex-wife and you don't want the kid. So the, the premise is dark, but the actual story is not. And I wrote it as a, I wanted it to be a, a very mainstream book. So there's no profanity. There's no over the top sex or violence or anything. It's a crime thriller. And it got picked up for a Kindle scout, uh, contract and Kindle press basically said to me, we're going to market this to Janet Ivanovich and Carl Heisen fans. Well, I'd never read either of them. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really familiar with, with, with that, but basically that's the crowd that basically was pulled in. But at the same time I'm writing that I'm also writing a book with another author, Frank Edler called shocker. And it is an over the top humorous horror book. I mean, a uh, guy in prison and baby Jesus comes out of the toilet and, uh, and, and, you know, has him kill uh, demon hookers and stuff. I mean, just crazy outrageous stuff. So I'm writing both of those books at the same time and it's completely a different, you know, part of the brain. So like those challenges are, are really cool for me to do. Yeah. So talk about that. So are you able to do kind of multiple projects at the same time or how do you kind of make that shift in your mind? Um, yeah, I always have three to five projects open at any given time. Um, I just find that I write better that way. I know when I get to where I only have like one thing, I get bored with that story and I need distance from it. So I might write, um, like today, today, for instance, as an example. So I've written part of dirty deeds Four this morning. Then I wrapped up uh, one of the last chapters of a book called Yard Full of Bones that I'm co-writing with Jay Wilburn, which is like a traditional horror story. Mm-hmm. Um, Dirty Deeds is, is a crime thriller. And then I'll work on probably I'll work on Dying Days 8 uh, this afternoon. And then, um, you know, I might throw something else in there. So, you know, it's um, three or four things every day I try to work on. Sometimes I get the bug like I'm I'm finishing up. Green River Blend 3 for a publisher, and that's like a horror story about coffee, basically. So I, I'm behind on that one. So I might do that for the next couple of days and just really knock that out. But I do them in short bursts, so I'm not, um, I don't get bored. So how do you – talk to us about kind of the evolution of your process. I mean from you know, the days of your son you know, bailing water from the pool, <laughs> you know, trying to write these these – you know, based on B movie script stuff. Um, to now, I mean, um, do you outline, do you pants? What, what, what do you, how, how, how have you kind of evolved as a writer or have you kind of just done the same thing? What does it look like today? I, I'm a complete pantser. Um, when I wrote the movie stuff, most of the time it was, and it still is cause I still get those contracts every now and then it is a conference call with sometimes three or four people in the room who have never written a book and they've maybe made movies and they're just throwing ideas at me. And I'm basically just taking notes and saying, that's stupid. Let's how about this? And we, you know, I've gotten really good at yelling it back at them, which they love. And basically, so it's an outline, you know, once I sit down, I might have 10 pages of notes on those characters in that story already. And, uh, but on my stuff, it's just basically, it's in my head. It's just uh, total pantsing. I used to write during the day. My son would go to high school, and when we moved from the house with no water, I still wanted him to go to the same high school, so I would drop him off. It was about a half an hour drive every morning. I would drop him off, and then I would go to Flagler Beach and sit in Kokomo's. 
And I would write from about eight in the morning to about two in the afternoon and then go pick him up from work. I mean, from school. And then we would go home and then basically that would be my writing for the day. And back then there was, I didn't have all the promotional stuff. I had no podcast. I had none of this. So it was nice and easy. It was writing. And then that was it. As I started getting into the podcasting, I was on FM radio for a little while. Then I went into the podcasting. Then I do all the promotion stuff. I just basically took over a podcast network a couple of months ago. So I have all that to do now. Um, book signings and conventions and all this other stuff. So all that has to be put in there. So I do something that I jokingly referred to once as the Mondo method uh-huh. of writing which is, and it's, I kind of stole the basic idea from Jonathan Mayberry, who writes for 45 minutes an hour, and then that last 15 minutes he plays. And then he starts at the top of the next hour. So I decided, well, I can't do, 45 minutes for me was about five, 600 words. I would really peter out because that's not the way my mind works. So I try to think of the first 15 minutes. So at the top of the hour, for the first 15 minutes, all I do is write. Then the next 45 minutes, I think it could be that book or a different book, but I play on Facebook. I I play with my baseball cards. I go watch television. I go make another cup of coffee, whatever. And at the top of the next hour, I jump back in. And those little 15-minute sprints, I'm averaging about 600 words every 15 minutes like that. So I'm able to do three or four of those sometimes in a day. So I'm really writing about an hour, but I'm writing 2,500 words a day. And, you know, when everything lines up, I mean, that's that's pretty easy. And it's not a, it's better than me sitting here for four straight hours uh-huh. and struggling to get those 2,500 words in, which is what I used to do. Hmm. So kind of that that you hit that point of just there's no return on investment. You know, you just you're kind of spent. And nothing's really coming. No. Um, and you feel like you're just forcing it. Um, so when you when you pants, um you know, people argue over, you know, outlining versus pantsing. And I think it's, you know, some of it's just personal preference, but, um, but was there ever a thought process of, of, you know, maybe I should outline or maybe I should, you know, or, or is it just kind of like you had all this, this, these ideas and you're just like, I'll just go for it and see what happens. I mean, what, what was kind of the thought behind that? I think I've always just been, you know, a pantser. Um, you know, when I wrote and I mostly, I came up mostly writing short stories. So when I was younger, it was a ton of short stories. I, I don't think I've, I had, had ever even tried anything longer. I'd always just loved short stories, and I used to submit a ton of short stories in the 90s. And um, that was kind of it. I mean, my longest piece, I think in, uh, in 2009, was the a novella, was Death Metal, which is no longer in print. And someday I'll, write it, I'll rewrite it into an actual novel. But... You know, the first Dying Days book was like 30,000 words. And that, to me, that was the story. I did not want to fill it, you know, a 50 or 60,000 word story. So it was, um, I think it wasn't until maybe Chelsea Avenue, which is three years, four years now, that it was actually something I'd written over 50,000 words. I just prefer the the, the smaller uh, story and... So I think it it grew as it grew that way. I got found my voice in the meantime. I found my style. I found uh, what I was doing, and I realized I could I could still even if it's a novel, I can still keep it all in my head. And I mean, I'll, I'll take notes. Um, you know, outlining is once I get four, five, six chapters into the book, I might do chapter ten, 
is Bob, chapter 11, Susie, chapter 12, Bob and Susie meet. I mean, mm-hmm. I do those to, to kind of break it up and it's, uh, you know, and then I mix and match because I'm like, oh, wait a minute, let's put Jake in here between these two chapters because I just realized he needs to do this or I want him to do this or whatever. But that's pretty much as far as I go, as far as an outline. I, I find them, for me as a writer, I find, find them very limiting. Mm-hmm. And when I have tried to do it, it never ever gets even close to what that is. And then there's that preconceived in my head of, I, Oh, I have to do this. This character has to die because it's in the outline in mm-hmm. chapter 20. And then if this guy's still alive in chapter 25, then how is this going to happen? And mm-hmm. and then it just, you know, threw me off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find it interesting. I've, I've tried to outline and, and then I end up not writing anything on the outline and go, well, I just pants the whole thing. So why am I outlining again? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think it's boring. I mean, that's just me. I'm I'm more of a pantser too, but um, I you know I like to discover the story and 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 you know even there's even times I'm like wow that that was pretty cool like I didn't know where that came from you know better than what was in the outline or whatever. Um, so um, so let's dig a little little deeper into your your process. So you you pants your novels. You got an idea. I mean, are you starting with a character? Are you starting with the, just a premise? Are you starting with you know, like you said, uh, there was a conversation in a coffee shop. I mean, h- how different books? I mean, where does the, kind of the genesis of the, the the seed of the idea come from? I think the fun is it it comes from all of those different things. I mean, um, there's no set formula that I have. Um, you know, one of the things as a as a writer, I get a lot, and other writers get a lot, is somebody comes up to you at a signing or whatever and goes, "Oh, I have this great idea for a book." write your idea. And I always just say, can you type? Because the only thing holding me back from writing the 10,000 ideas in my head is that I can't type fast enough (laughs) and I don't have enough hours in the day. You know, I mean, if I had a secretary who could just sit here and type for me all day, I could probably put out three books a day. Mm -hmm. So the ideas are there. There's, there's just too many ideas and it's just one of those, which, which one do I want to write next? And those ideas could be I have a scene in my head. I have a character in my head. I have a complete um, story in my head. You know, it, it just really depends. It depends on the characters and, um, you know, I never I never look and I never, I know there's authors that I've talked to that say, well, I, I don't sit down until I have the idea in my head. Mm-hmm. Even if I pants it, I, I have to know everything about the character. I have to live in that character on and on. And my thing is, I write uh, Pulp Fiction. I'm not writing. I don't want to write the, the the Great Gatsby. I don't want to write the next great American novel. I want to write a bunch of fun stories. And if it involves zombies killing people, or if it involves, um, you know, a, a more of a beach read, I'm fine with that. That's that's where I want to be because those are the stories I like to read. Mm-hmm. So it just it just depends. Like, like I'll I'll get like a publisher who will want an idea. Or I'll have an idea and I'll pitch it maybe to a publisher. <clears throat> and if they bite, then I go, okay, now where, where am I going to go with this story? Mm-hmm. Or um, me and Jay Wilburn wrote a book together, a haunted house story set in Georgia. But the, it was really character driven. It was this family being torn apart with divorce and separation. And at the same time, the house is haunted. So how are the kids and mom and dad relating to all of this together? And uh, and it was Jay's idea, and we wrote it together, and it's probably my the the best thing I've ever written. So when I turned around and started writing, uh, when I had an idea, and I said, "Hey, Jay, I got an idea for 
uh, uh, for a story called Yard Full of Bones, I basically had the title and I had a couple of uh, ideas for main characters. That was it. And me and Jay sitting at a convention together started kind of pitching ideas back and forth. And I wrote the first chapter, first couple chapters, and then boom, it just went in a completely different direction than I thought it was going to go. But it was just based on that idea, hey, you want to write another book together because we had so much fun, you know, doing the last one. Sure. Sure. So talk talk a little bit about, I mean, you're obviously very prolific. You've, you know, written, I don't even know how many, you probably don't even know. Um, <laughs> no. So w- what is your, um, your, your process? I mean, you're, you know, we talk about pantsing, but, but as far as your editing goes, I mean, what does that look like to, to actually get the work done? Um, you know, do you have kind of a process for that as far as cleaning it up? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy that people say I write a very clean first draft. So I'm not this. I'm not the kind of author that wants is going to do five and six and seven drafts or edits or rip rip pages out and throw them away or start over or anything like that. I'm pretty much um, like I just finished this week. I just finished um, Dirty Deeds three, which is coming out at the end of January. So that's fifty one, fifty two thousand words, and I basically write it once, and then I do just basically just the basic autocorrect through to see if I really screwed up any, any major words, you know, anything in red underlined, I changed that stuff. But then I just, I give it to my beta readers and I have three different beta readers uh, for this particular series because they like it. And they basically come back and say, okay, here's the main things that we found in it. And it's usually not a lot. It's maybe two, two dozen spelling errors or, continuity or something like that, but it's minor stuff. And then I clean it up and it takes me a couple of hours, which is what I did this morning. Mm-hmm. And then I send it over to my editor and now she'll take a couple of weeks with it and she'll ask a bunch of questions and she gets into really deep sentence structure and things like that. But I've, I've, she's edited about two dozen books for me now. Mm-hmm. So she knows my style and she knows what stays and what doesn't stay. Um, and I'm not worried about making the perfect sentence. I'm not that guy. I just want the sentence to to read that the you can go through. I don't want anybody to to, to have to ever pull out a thesaurus and say what what the hell does this word mean? Um, again, I'm a pulp writer. That's what I want to do. I want you to be able to read and enjoy the book, and at the end, you know, blow through that book uh, in a night, and you, you you don't go to bed till three four in the morning because you want to see what happens at the end of that book. So that's kind of my process, and you know, some people treat them like, oh, these are my babies and all this, but um, I, I think I've written about 250 to 300 babies at this point. So it's, it's hard to, um, I mean, I, there's cer- certain books that obviously are certain stories that I love that I I'm, I'm really happy I wrote, but a lot of them are just, they're good stories and I like them and they're stories that weren't out there and I wanted to read and that's why I wrote them. But now I moved on to something else. So I had, um, I don't know if you know Jake Bible, um, I had him, oh, yeah. on, him on and you know, he talks about being a modern pulp writer. How would you, I had him define what that means to him. What does that mean to you? I mean, I, I guess it's, it's the, that we are, um, you know, I love the Lovecraft, the Robert E. Howard. I loved all those, you know, the weird tales and all those back in the twenties and the thirties. And those were quick reads. I mean, as a kid, once I got into Lovecraft and I got into those and my mother uh, bought me a ton of like the reprint books with all those short stories. And, uh, there's a couple, you know, that basically guys wrote under like 15 different pen names, but they basically, uh, you know, they wrote, 
you know, five or six stories in the same issue of, of one of those. And they just, it were, they were, you know, prolific and they wrote a ton of stuff and they really didn't get caught up on the perfect word phrasing and, um, and all that. When I started writing, I wanted to be Dean Koontz. I didn't want to be Hemingway. I didn't want to, um, agonize over the, is this sentence make the perfect sentence and all that. So I think for me, that's what, what Pulp Fiction to me is just uh, a fun story, a story that you can, you can, you can read as a reader, you're, you're reading it and it's a great story and that's why you're reading it. You're not, uh, I, I'm never going to write a story that I wanted to be taught in college. You know, I, I don't, I, I would never want any of that. Um, I did an interview once where the, the guy was insistent that dying days, my zombies were, I, I don't even remember what his thing was. It was like, it was the, uh, the, the uh, upcoming war with North Korea or something, blah, blah. And I was like, no, it's just, I like zombies. It's just seriously, dude, it's about zombies. It's about the people. And then the zombies are kind of in the background. It's not, there's no political, there's no social aspect of it at all, you know? So that to me, that's what that's what Pulp Fiction is. Pulp Fiction is just something fun to read. There's no agenda there for me, uh, and the stuff I read, there's no agenda because I think that would be pretty boring. I want to I want to escape as a reader. I want to, um, um, and I read it again. I read a ton of nonfiction stuff, but I don't want to read any of that in my fiction. I want that to be two separate things. What would you say is 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 there any way way of gauging kind of what's the audience? What's your audience? I mean, what what kind of you know emails do you get? What what kind of people read your books? I mean, kind of fun you know pulpy stories that you know entertain you for a few hours. I mean, what what's the demographic? It's it's really it's all over the place. Um, when I first started and I first first started getting people, you know, you as a beginning author, you know, mom reads your stuff and then maybe. You get to the you know second cousin level, mm-hmm. and then your your buddies at work read and all the, and then you get that first person who wait a minute, let me trace this person see how how do I know him? Oh, he <laughs> just actually bought me on you know bought my book on Amazon kind of thing, and those are those are really neat and um, it's amazing that the amount of uh, of different people will send me messages and will talk to me and ask me questions and stuff and I'm very big on. Um, on doing that, I learned from Jay Conrath. I learned from Scott Nicholson back in the day when I had a million questions for those guys, and I must have driven them nuts. <laughs> and they helped me. They answered all those questions. And uh, I never forgot that. And new authors, it's that karma of, of paying it forward. And the same with the readers. I mean, I love talking to I love talking to readers. I love interacting with them. But it's, you know, you really can't define exactly who the reader is. It's funny, I, I've, I had a about three months, four months ago, all of a sudden I had this huge spike in Japan on my Amazon Japan page. And I was sold like a hundred and something books where I was selling like 10, 10 a month. And all of a sudden it sold like 150 or something. And it was all the dying day stuff. It was all the zombie stuff. And then I was getting emails from people, a couple of people from Japan that had found it and word of mouth, they had passed it on to the next person, which was pretty cool. That's great. Yeah. I, I think it just says a lot about, you know, the day we live in, it's, it's with just so many different little subcultures and, you know, you ask someone, Hey, what, what show are you watching? And they say some title and you're like, what, what is that? You know, it's just, everybody has these little different, you know, pockets and you can't really narrow down, you know, it seems like the channels are so wide open these days. I think it's pretty exciting though. Um, 
So uh, let's talk a little bit, just for a few minutes, a little bit about your podcast. Um, that was one of the ways I, I kind of was reminded of, of your writing and, and really enjoyed actually the sexy, uh, uh, was it sexy horror podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, really um, found a bunch of great authors through that, which uh, is, is, is one of the gifts of the show. Um, and then the Mondo Method, I didn't even know that one existed, but uh, need to need to listen to that one. But um Talk a little bit about that. You, you've you've had some. You said some uh, experience in like FM radio. You were doing like a show, and then the podcast. How that all come come about? And share a little bit, kind of what you're learning, and 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 the benefit of that, and how's that how that's going. Well, down down in Flagler Beach, when I used to hang out, there was a uh, guy Vern Shank, who um, had just started. He had basically he had put together an AM radio station right on the pier, right on the water there. Hmm. And he, you know, we knew each other. He knew I was a writer, and he knew I had I had had some experience. I I managed bands back in the '90s, so I had, um, I guess, some media stuff. And then he had heard me on interviews and stuff, and you know, he knew I was very comfortable. So he approached me and said, "Hey, I want to do a show you and another author on Friday nights, and the two of you can basically interview people and talk on the radio." And we did that for about a year, and then the, it switched over to FM. And in the meantime, I also did a heavy metal show uh, on Friday nights for for the station. The problem is it was about an hour and a half drive for me. Hmm. So the show would end at midnight. I'd be home at like 2, 2.30 in the morning by the time I got coffee. And then Saturday was wiped for me. Hmm. And then I found um, – I, I just basically I found uh, podcasting, and I, I fell in love with it. And originally – I started doing my show for him by just basically by recording it and sending it to him and him just putting it up on Friday nights. And it, it, it lacked that interaction with people. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then I started doing, you know, I started doing Armcast, Dead Sexy podcast, uh, 4th of July, two years ago. Um, well, yeah, yeah, this year it'll be three years now. And that was my thing. My thing was, as a writer, I want to talk to these these uh, great authors. I want to talk to um, the people who, that are above me. I want to talk to my peers. I want to talk to new authors. I want to get. I want to pick your brain of all of these authors and find out how your process works, what you're doing good, what you're doing bad, and all of this. And that's kind of how it how it started. And um, I'm at I think about 135 episodes right now. A new one every Friday. And then um, I got hooked up with uh, Project I Radio, which is a podcast network, and it has uh, the horror show with Brian Keene. It has three guys with beards, with you know Jonathan Mayberry, James Moore, and Christopher Golden. And um, they asked me to do a second podcast, which I did, which which was uh, me and Mark Tufa. We did for uh, about a year, called. Um, uh, Arm and Tooth's Dead Time podcast, and then the two of us got really busy, so we stopped. But I still wanted to do a second podcast, and at Scares That Care last year, I ran into uh, Chuck Buddha, who's a, a brand new author, you know, within the last year, and he's another guy that you need to talk to. Very prolific, tons of stuff that he has out, and um, I said, you know what, I would love to do a you know me and you you know you're the newer author and i'm the guy who's been doing this full-time for six years and we can kind of pick each other's brain and help each other out Mm -hmm. so that became uh, the mondo method podcast and you know we've gotten about 15 or 20 episodes of that so far 
And back in November, I took over um, what was Project I Radio, and it became Project Entertainment Network. And uh, so now I own the network, always looking for new shows, always looking for uh, – in fact, we're adding a couple of shows this this uh, month. Every month we'll add another one or two podcasts to the group. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's awesome. It's one of those things, though, where it takes up time from my writing. So it's sure. I have to really be careful or I get sucked down that, that hole of – um, I just listened to 15 potential podcasts today instead of writing a word, you know. <laughs> right. So so as you interview all these different authors and, uh, you know, you're obviously learning from them too. Um, you know, w- if you're talking to, let's say, I mean, obviously I have a podcast dedicated to a new new author, Chuck Buddha. Um, you know, you're talking to an aspiring author. You're talking to someone just starting out, you know, and, and you really say, you know, you really need to be prolific. You need to get the stories out. W- what's kind of the the advice you'd give, what's the wisdom that you, you maybe keep hearing over and over? I think one of the things is really find your strengths. Um, I learned in the beginning, again, I made a, a ton of mistakes. I did my own covers. I did my own formatting. I did my own editing, you know, cause no one's going to know my stories better than me. That crap. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I knew better in social media and on and on and on. And then I realized, you know what? I don't know all this. These co- covers look horrible. I, I can't format <laughs> at all. Obviously, I can't self-edit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I brought people in that could do those things until, um, you know, then I learned formatting on my own. I learned social media. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real big fan of Twitter. I have 114,000 Twitter followers that I've built. Mm. And that's just you know, learning, that's learning stuff, but I know I can't do a cover. I know I can't edit. So I found people who could do that. And I think find your strengths as a writer. We're all different, which is the awesome thing. So find out what you can do and what you can't do. You know, there's a lot of authors out there that will be the first person to tell you. Wayne Stinnett is a great example. He, he says, I'm not a great, I'm not a great writer. I'm a good storyteller. My books are, aren't the greatest books ever, but you know what? He's making a really, really comfortable living doing this because the marketing for him is amazing. Mm-hmm. Because he 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 took his strengths on that on all the stuff that he did well, and he built it up in such a way that he's making a lot of money every. I mean, he's making big numbers every month on on his books because of that. Because he realized I can't do this, this, and this. Why am I going to waste my time doing it? Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important. Is you can't do it all. You're 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 kidding yourself if you think you can do every single thing, but find the ones that you are really good at and, and stick with those and really build it from there. Yeah, that's really good advice. I, I think, yeah, we, we, we read this stuff about you got to do market and you got to edit and you got to cover and you got to, you know, and everyone's just kind of, you know, scared and thinks they can do it or, you know, shouldn't be doing it. And the covers look like, you know, they did it with the crayon. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think that's that's guys like you that have kind of gone through it though and fallen down and made mistakes and now you're, you know, kind of sharing the love and creating podcasts and doing interviews. Oh, and and I and I own that. I mean, I'm the first one to say, you know, when when on the Mondo Method podcast when Chuck brings up an idea and I just say I I don't even know what you're talking about or I've tried that and it doesn't work, but it's working for him. Well, why? Because it's not an ego thing. It's not, well, I've done that and it, it, it failed. And, okay, well, what are you doing that I did wrong? Because I want to learn because I want to get to that point. I mean, I've been on, I've been on podcasts and um, 
I mean, as we're talking, the listeners can't see, but you're taking I, I throw out a name and you're writing a name down. That's what I do on every interview I do with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they're saying, oh, I, you know, I find I use Buffer for my Twitter. Well, hold on. Let me spell that. You know, mm-hmm. oh, I use Co-Promote. <laughs> well, let me write Co-Promote down. And then I look into these things after. And these are tools that I use on a daily basis now. And they only came up because I, I was interviewing another author who uses it like it's no big deal. You know, don't assume that everybody uses it. And don't assume that an author who's out there, uh, like a Jonathan Mayberry interviewing Jonathan, talking to him, he's always like, well, wait a minute, what was that? Uh-huh. You know, because it's new tools that we're using that maybe he hasn't heard of yet. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's amazing what's out there. I mean, I actually co-promote. That's funny you said that because I learned that from you. So I, I, tried, <laughs> I tried it out. I was like, hey, what is this co-promote? Is it working for you? Thing? Yeah, it's, I, I'm just lazy, so... You know, I've, I've tried it a few times, but yeah, it's it's really interesting. It, it's a little hard to figure out at first. I think the learning curve, I'm not yeah. always sure what I'm doing. Um, but, you know, they're always pinging me and saying, hey, you need to boost another thing. And and, and that's and that's something that I learned. I was on the uh, Spilling Ink podcast, mm-hmm. and that's something I learned from them. So that's, you know, I had never heard of it before, but I immediately jumped in and let me, at least let me give it a shot and see what happens. And it's working out perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a, a testament to the I think the this you know indie community self publishing community you know I know you've done a little bit of everything but they're very generous people um, you know for the most part I mean there's a lot of dirt bags out there too but uh, you know willing to come on I mean you you came on with me last second I mean willing to share willing to say hey I don't know what I'm doing or I do know what I'm doing I've but I've failed and here's what I'm trying and you know and, and there just seems to be kind of a it's not a us versus them, you know, right. thing. It's, hey, we're all in this together. I mean, you know, your competition's not another author. I mean, well, no. Yeah. You know, an author, a reader isn't, doesn't read one book a year. Mm-hmm. They read one book every three days, four days. Mm-hmm. So if I can point it in, the, in a direction of, hey, these are other authors that I like to read, they're going to swing back around to me. Again, it's the, it's all the karma thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're fighting against television and movies and video games and and all that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's where people are are timing. If you're a reader, most people I meet are not casual. Yeah, I, re- I read one book a year. No, they read, you know, 50 books a year. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's it's uh, it's crazy. So, that's those are the people that we're all trying to to get and we're helping each other out. By doing that, I think that's really uh, that's really cool and that's really important. Well, hey Armand, as we we close up, tell us uh, tell us what you're working on, what you're excited about right now, and, uh, and then where we can find you. Uh, you can find me at armandrosamilia.com. You could also find me at uh, author Armand Rosamilia on Facebook. You can find me on projectentertainmentnetwork.com that has both my podcasts and all the other ones. I am doing a bunch of book signings and conventions coming up in 2017, like Scares That Care in Williamsburg, Virginia in the summer. That's probably the uh, the big one for me. And I have a ton of stuff coming out. I'll have Dying Days 8 coming out in June and Dying Days 9 coming out in November. Um, Green River Blend 3 coming out in a couple of months. Uh, probably two more Dirty Deeds books this year. And a ton of other things. I got a bunch of uh, anthologies that uh, I'm in that hopefully will come out uh, this year. Some of them didn't even come out last year. And uh, I just, you know, every day just writing and writing and writing and um, promoting and doing stuff like this. 
Well, great. Yeah, it sounds like you're just sitting around really doing nothing. So maybe <laughs> you need to get after it. But uh, no, thanks, Armand, for coming on. Uh, this is going to be a huge uh, blessing to people that listen. And uh, I learned a lot. And uh, really just keep, keep on keeping on. Um, go check out the podcasts. Um, and yeah, keep doing what you're doing. And I uh, really appreciate it. So thanks for the time. Hey, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Thanks for stopping by the Prolific Writer Podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes so we can help more writers share their stories with the world and head over to rockhousepublishing.com for books, resources, and other writing and publishing tips. See you next time.